The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded, the final episode of the World Junior Championship and the first episode of Training Camp. And first of all, we have to congratulate USA to a fantastic game last night, uh, which ended with a with a tournament win of the World Junior Championships. Uh, great for uh, Cole Caulfield, maybe not as great as uh, for Kaden Gooley, uh, but it was an upset and and. Sometimes we actually live to see upsets as well. Uh, with me today, I got uh, Jared Book. Welcome to the pod, Jared. Yes, we're back again, back in the saddle. I feel like the World Juniors is a perfect preseason for for the NHL season. It should always it just, be in August after this, right? <laughs> well, it just—I just feel like because everything is going so quickly right now, it just felt feels so good to have the World Juniors. And just right after that, because there's no preseason for the NHL, right? So this was like our preseason to get everything ready and ready to go for uh, for the season. Yeah. And we also have Anton Rossegård from a snowy Sweden. I think it's snowy down at your place as well, Anton. No, no, this is the south, baby. It's it's all hey, sunny. You're and like what? Sunny and Thirty kilometers, three hundred kilometers away from me. It's yeah, not that there, much south. No <laughs> yeah, but there is no sun. Uh, there is no snow here. It's uh, it's perfectly uh, just uh, a normal cold winter day without any kind of uh, either rain or snow. So so it's very uh, it's very pleasant actually. It's it's the last down uh, last day for. Um the kids uh, winter vacation or winter holiday and uh, here in Gothenburg it actually has arrived about two centimeters of snow so I'm sure everyone is happy but we're looking towards what happened yesterday and what happened before that in in uh, the World Union Championships at start there uh, we had three prospects going into the medal rounds um, and um, the first one out was Jan Mishak we're not surprised by that but has Mishak increased or strengthened or weakened his um, uh, grades or, or um, performance in, uh, with his performance in the World Junior Championship? I think that Mishak has uh, improved his status. I think that uh, there were a lot of questions about why he fell to the second round, uh, if there was something that we hadn't seen, because there were a lot of analysts who had him in the first round. At the end of the first round, he fell to 48. I think that... I mean, there there were some some doubts about uh, whether we had uh, just overreacted to a great uh, end of the winter season in Hamilton. Um, I think that Mishak has uh, proven himself to be uh, the well the the best talent of the Czechs, which doesn't really say that much uh, at this point because the Czech team. I mean, they made it to the quarterfinals because there were worse teams in in the tournament, obviously, but. Um, 
and they beat Russia, which was great. But it's still, you know, it was a shut down defense that made that happen. But I, I just, I just like the versatility of Mishak. I like that he was named captain. Um, I think that it's nice to have a prospect who is, I mean, he's still extremely young. He's he's only 18 and a half at this point, and he was already made captain. It, it tells you something about his leadership and the fact that I think it's a positive that we don't know if he's a center or winger um, going forward because it just proves it just improves that versatility going forward. I think that um, when he goes back to Hamilton, it will be, well, if they start up the OHL, it will be interesting to see how they want to play him. Um, and, um, you know, um, well, I mean, you, you can you can speak more about Misha yourself uh, since you have actually talked to him, uh, Patrick. Concur, and I agree with what you're saying. It's it's uh, I'm more impressed with him. I'm impressed maybe with his leadership qualities the most. Uh, the fact that he sacrifices himself for the for the best of the team. Uh, he seems very mature. He seems uh, to understand the game of hockey quite well. Um, I still rely on some of my sources down in Czech Republic that are a bit wary about his qualities to actually run a power play. Uh, what we have seen here is that he can lead a third and fourth line maybe where it's not such a high on demand on, on actually play, uh, leading the, the, the play or, or taking charge of the puck and delivering it to different areas. I think still that Mishak is better as a, as a uh, run and gun kind of player on the wing. Uh, he himself does not see it that way. Uh, and and it's very clear if you listen to the f- previous episode that we had around, I think it's 26 and a half minutes, where the interview with Mishak starts, uh, and also the article that, that I had on Ice on the Price in regards to the interview I did with Jan Mishak from the World Juniors. But but I'm impressed with him. He's he's risen in my rankings. If we look back at the at the top 25, under 25, yeah, I, I, I will raise his ranking to, to next year because he has impressed in the world juniors no matter what goes on in this weird uh, spring um, and and the good thing for Mishak as well is that he has the opportunity to go back to Europe directly to play and he said in the interview that he has focused on the defensive side of the game so we should not read in too much of you know number of, of goals or assists when it comes to the extra league play it will be very interesting as you say as well anton to to see how hamilton chooses to to go with his development and the role he gets on the team it, it reminds me a lot about a, a another czech center that the canadians had uh, who played uh, middle six minutes, who may have sacrificed his offensive output a little bit for the team. And who is uh, helping and, Mishak develop. Yeah, ex- exactly. And, you know, I, I think that the, the offensive part of his game was always the the strength. And we'll get into it a little bit later with somebody else uh, who was at the World Junior Tournament. But I, I feel like that this showed a, a different side of his game. And, and I think that uh, he wasn't alone in that regard. Uh, a little teaser for later on. Yeah, we can move on more or less directly uh, to to maybe not the one you're hinting at, but but to the other one, and it's Kaden Goulet <laughs> who ended up with the silver medal. And let's be honest, a 16-2 win in the first game compared to a loss in the first game doesn't really matter much when you lose the last game or win the last game. Yeah, you know, a lot of people with Gouley, um is going to be about the first goal, right? Because yeah. it was his man, he was there. But what 
I we need to look at and and it's, this it's is the what's on Caulfield, isn't it? it well, that that too, but it, it's about watching the game as opposed to watching the highlights. You know that goal was and at the end of a two minute shift. Uh, Baron, his his D partner, was able to change. Drysdale came on. Aguli wasn't able to get off because he was the one that was uh, kind of holding the puck and holding the line for for Baron to get off. And, and you know it's just one of those things. It's going to happen in the NHL too, uh, where a guy at the end of his shift is going to be uh, is is going to be taken advantage of by by a fresher player in front of the net. Like it's just it's. I don't think that that should define his tournament or, or even his gold medal game because he has had a really good tournament. And I think that, you know, before that, he was one of the most noticeable players on Team Canada before that goal against. He was having good shifts. He was stepping up into play. He was making nice plays defensively. He was, you know, creating uh, exits on, on the Canadian side. And I, I, we mentioned this in the quarterfinal uh, preview, but for me, it, it just shows what kind of player he is. And and for me, I, I was very impressed with him. And I don't want that goal against to define his tournament or his game because I thought he had a really good game and I thought he had a really good tournament as well. Yeah, I want to I want to add to that because I, I feel like Kidding Gooley, of the three Canadians prospects, he's the one who has um, impressed me the most in this tournament just because he went in and we didn't even know if he was going to make the team at camp. And then he took... A spot, and he not only took a spot, but he was actually one of the better defensemen as a possible returner for next year as well. And I mean, he he was a guy who I think we all were a bit um, we weren't that happy when the Canadians selected him at 16, just in the moment, because you felt that oh, there was so much offensive talent on the board, and we've touched on that before in the podcast as well. But the the longer the time goes, like now it's two two and a half months later. Uh, three months later, and all of a sudden, you you kind of realize what uh, Mark Bergevin and the bicep bicep gang uh, must have fallen in love with in the process. And at this point, uh, I feel so much, I, I feel so happy that the Canadians went in the direction of uh, Kidding Gooley instead of a Dawson Mercer or a Maverick Bork. Obviously, they're all still young, and you know the development could go either here or there. We don't know yet, but at this point in time, I, I'm very happy to have Gaden Gooley as a prospect for the Montreal Canadiens. You also have to realize that we were not very happy with a certain other person that is making a great impression in camp that we're going to discuss later. Like, I remember uh, when when Canadians picked Alexander Romanov, and it's not the first time we go back to that draft day when Jared was confused <laughs> as, as everyone else, and, and I then had to write up a grading article where I was completely wrong, as, as many points out every now and then. Uh, but but I mean it's the same with Caden Gooley. You you there was some offensive talent on the board. Same with Romanov uh, in the second round at that time. But but they both of them seems to have been very very good picks. Yeah, and and that's the thing, right? And you know even today I'm having a conversation in the comments about how you know because they're you know not offensive minded defensemen they may not be worth a high draft pick. And for me. I think that that's where the disconnect comes in, right? Because everyone wants, you know, the sexy pick. They want the exciting pick. They wanna, they want the Cole Caulfield. They don't want Philip the Philip Broberg. Yeah. Well, they don't. They don't want uh, a guy who's going to be playing a shutdown role. It, it's not like Philip Dano, right? Philip Dano was a first round pick, but that's not the kind of first round pick people want. Even though he's become a number one center in Montreal, and every team would be ecstatic to have that as a first from a first round pick. 
it, it, it's the, it's the mindset, right? And, and I think a goal saved is just as good as a goal scored, right? If you're, if you're, and that's where the it, new it, analytics it, comes in, isn't it? You well, look at yeah, goal yeah. differential. Exactly. Like if you if you put up sixty points or are on the ice for sixty goals for, as an example, but you're on the ice for forty goals against, or forty five goals against, right? That, that's a plus fifteen. And I'm not talking about plus minus. I'm talking about actual goal differential. And, and let's say you, you you're on the ice for forty goals, and but you only allow twenty. That's a plus twenty, right? So I, I feel like Romanov is a good example of this as well. Is that he's never going to put up fifty, sixty points. At least I don't think so. He's not that kind of defenseman. He he'll help in the rush. He's a good skater. He'll move. He'll hit people, and and most importantly, he'll shut the other team down. It, it's it's the kind of mindset that is kind of changing right because the shutdown guys the 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 stay-at-home defensemen right now they're not like douglas murray or shea weber you know what i mean like the 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 big guy who just stands in front of net and hits people it's not like that anymore ghoulie is one of the best skaters on that canadian team and and he's a a defensive defenseman right so same with romanov last year exactly a team that is known for their skating capabilities yeah And, and the thing is is that both of them were like, oh, what do we have here? We, you know, it's they're not going to be that that Eric Carlson or Brent Burns. You know, it, they're not going to be like that. They're just going to be solid defensemen that are going to be the cornerstone cornerstone of uh, of the team. And it's funny to me because a lot of these people who are like, oh, you have to pick the the the, the scoring defenseman. You have to pick the the guy who's going to put up points. You can't pick a, a shutdown guy in the first round or or early in the second like Romanov are the same people who think that Shea Weber is better than Jeff Petrie. And it's like, yeah. which, 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 which one do you choose? Because, you know, and I'm not saying Petrie's bad defensively at all. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying in terms of the the disconnect of scoring points versus stopping points, and, and we have to change the mindset of what defensive means, right? Like Philip Deneau, uh, Thomas Tatar, Brendan Gallagher, the reason why people don't think that they're a top line outside of Montreal or even inside of Montreal is because they don't put up points. But if you look at their goal differential, as opposed to say the, the, the Colorado line of, of McKinnon, uh, Rantanen and, and Landeskog, or you look at, uh, you know, Toronto's first line or, or mm. um, you know, the, the, what makes the, the Boston first line great of, of Bergeron, Marchand and uh, Pasternak is that they're just as good defensively and keeping pucks out as they are scoring. Right, and I think that that's what we have to change our mindset of is that being defensive is not a bad thing, right? Like you also it, have to look just, at it from a, from the point of NHL games played. You, yeah. you cannot just sit there. Oh, we could have gotten this. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, we, we we can say Monday morning quarterbacking. I'm 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 as great as Aaron Rodgers, if not better, on a Monday morning after he's played on Saturday. But but it's it's you need to look at how many games does a normal player get that is picked on that spot have they beaten that limit or not and you can't judge that first two years because they barely play most of these guys won't play in the nhl the first two years no i was just gonna say that i mean if you see someone like getting I, I understand that i mean everyone said like high floor pick low ceiling guy whatever um i think that it's just great to to like already eight to 18 you can see that the nhl tools are there the nhl traits are there if he doesn't live up to his potential of be, becoming a, a staple top four defenseman he will at the very least become a joel edmondson who 
who can be a bottom four defenseman um, who can put in any situation. You can you he can help out with a slap shot on the power play if you need him to. He can definitely help out in the penalty kill. Um, I think that there is just as you say, there is just you're undervaluing a guy just because he doesn't have those offensive traits. Someone like Eric Carlson. I mean. Eric Carlson and Brent Burns, they've both dominated the league. I mean, they, they get this, um, y- you talk about them as the, uh, glowingly because they put up a lot, a lot of points. But as you say, if you look at them, how many <laughs> how many goals they actually let in with them on the ice because they're basically a fourth forward, um, it's not as impressive anymore. But no. it looks good in the stat sheet and on the highlights. So therefore, I, I mean, a Kaden Gooley will never get the great highlights except for an occasional hit. And an occasional slap shot. And it's the same with Shea Weber. But they are, you know, guys that you can rely on in every situation. And that is maybe, like, more valuable than an Eric Carlson. But you also have to figure out that who do you pair Eric Carlson with? Vlasic. Who is damn secure as as a defender. You need that Kaden Gula. You need that Romanov. You need that Vlasic. What's the guy in in, uh, Philadelphia that I'm really like? The Russian guy as well. Uh, Anyway... Overall. Yeah, mm-hmm. who, who's, who's a little bit more offensively minded, but he is so good that you can put him with whatever other offensive defenseman you want, and he yeah. will excel. He will take his own responsibility, a half of the other guy, so he can play forward. Yeah, and and I think Caden Gula is that kind of player as well. Maybe not to that level yet. We don't know. We will have to see that in five years' time, and you can come back on Twitter and tell me I was wrong. That's fine. But <laughs> but on the other hand. You also need to figure out that in order to have that sexy pick uh, or, or that cool uh, defender that can rush and join in, and you need another stable partner that is not, and, and he can definitely not be bad at skating because he needs to cover such a big area of the rink, even if it's a narrow rink in, in North America. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is with, with Ghoulie, right, is that, he he doesn't he, he jumps into play. He, he's not a guy who just stays at the blue line and hits people. Like the first goal he scored against Germany, which was still a zero zero game at that point, he was basically at the face off circle to get the puck and and went in and and shot the puck into the net. Like he he jumps into the play a lot. He he's not a he's not a necessarily a puck mover. He can move the puck, but he, he's not like a, an elite puck mover. But he jumps into play. He skates the puck up. He's He's not just a guy who's there to hit people. You know, it's it's kind of why I laugh at the uh, comparisons of Romanov to Alexei Emelin, right? Because, you know, big Russian hit people, yeah. you know, big body. and, and but, but they do so much more. And that's the new generation of defensemen. It's not just Romanov and Gouli. You look up and down the NHL. You have these guys everywhere. Jake Sanderson is a very good example of that. Uh, He's not a guy who's going to put up points. Come on. You should more, see. More, yeah. You should see Maurice Sider in SHL. He's he's dominant and he's so yeah. good. Well, Darlene too, even right. Yeah. To, to, he's he's not putting up crazy numbers at the NHL level, right? But he's he's great at both ends of the the the, the ice. And you know, look at Jake Sanderson, a guy who was picked uh, ahead of Jamie Drysdale in the draft, right? So he's a guy who's not going to put up as many points as Drysdale. But he is a guy who can skate, he can move back, he can play both sides of the ice. And, and Gouli is kind of a lesser that. He's not as good. You know, you, you look at yes. Team Canada, you have Byram and Drysdale, who are probably two of the top defensemen in the last two drafts. With yeah. Sanderson in there a little bit, Sider as well. There's different guys in there as well. But, you know, he's not at that level. But, you know, it, it's I think he's better than Braden Schneider, who was taking a few picks after him. Um, the New Jersey pick... Um, 
Um, Shakir Muhammadulin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Gooley's better than him, right? It's just, you know, you talk about first-round picks. Uh, Gooley, in terms of the, the defenseman picked in the first round, uh, rates out very well and, and showed in that tournament as well. Yeah, and moving on to the gold medal carrier, the one with many words on press conferences that should not be used <laughs> and has a gorgeous smile. Uh, <laughs> we all love him already, and are he you, became are, are sort of love, a legend. Are you in love, Patrick? No, no, no. Romano is still my first and only. Oh, okay. his, 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 reaction, his reaction to swearing was almost as good as the swearing itself. Yeah, it was. I, I think it was, it was better. But, but we, of course, we're speaking about Cole Caulfield, and we're not talking only about getting hit by Caden Goulet. We're not only talking about the missed shots that he had in, in a few games. But we're talking about the overall play. And I know this is a heart, a question close to your heart, Jared. Cole Caulfield, hear me up for a second. Cole Caulfield shut down forward. <laughs> Does yeah. it sound weird to everybody else? Because that's what he was. And, it, you know, there was so, many, so much talk about how he was being used at the start of the tournament. And I'm guilty of this as well. Why is he not being used with Zegris? Why is he not being used uh, in a shooting position on the power play? And the answer, and it basically won the U.S. a gold medal or helped win the U.S. a gold medal, was he was basically a decoy. <laughs> you know, and there, there's two parts to this. The first part is the even strength play. And why is he with, uh, with Beneers and Boldy and not with Zegris and Turcotte? And the answer to that is if... You have Caulfield on that line of Boldy and Beneers. You have to watch it as if there's a top scorer on that line. You put Kaliev on that line, teams aren't paying as much attention to that, which means what? It means they can load up against the Zegers line. And Caulfield is basically a decoy, even on the power play. Why do you put him in the bumper when he's the best shooter and, and maybe one of the best playmakers on the team? The reason is, is that you basically have you watched any team that kills penalties against the United States. They had three, maybe even four guys around Caulfield at all times. They didn't let him get a, a second. And you know, some people are going to look at them and be like, "Oh, he couldn't make his own space." But what I see is that I see that that was his role. Because you look how much room Zegers had. You look how much room Cam York had. How much room Kaliev had on the other side. How much room Matt Boldy had down at the net front. That was his role. His role was to basically create space for everybody else. And, and people are going to look at goals, they're going to look at assists. That doesn't matter to me at all. And, and it didn't matter to me to be, regardless of what he did, but what I saw in this tournament was that he changed his game completely. And, and you know, he played six minutes, over six minutes in the third period of the gold medal game with a 2 nothing lead. That was the third most of any U.S. forward. Only Turcotte and Boldy played more minutes. He played more than Zegras. He played more than Kaliev. He played more than, uh, than than any other forward on that team. And to me, what that tells me is that he was trusted. He played a shutdown role. He wasn't there to score goals. And the, the thing that made him excel at that regard is that everybody else on the other teams expected him to score goals. And, and, and we, I think that that... And if we lauder... And if we lauder Mishak for... for helping his team out and exactly. and sacrifice himself we need to do the same thing with 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 Cole Caulfield yeah absolutely you know he had an A on his jersey he didn't have the C like Mishak did but he he definitely helped the U.S. win the gold medal by more than just goals and assists and it, it was clear as day and he 
you know, before the tournament, we uh, David St. Louis had an article about how he was in like a hero mode. And I felt that at times, I felt that he was still in that mindset whenever he touched a puck and that he wanted to do everything every time he touched a puck. But I understand now why he was in that mindset. It's because he was so... He was so like pent up from not having from playing that role that he was playing. That he was like, whenever he had open space in the puck, he's like, I'm going to shoot it, <laughs> and and that's basically what he what he ended up doing. But yeah, you know, he showed me more in this tournament playing the role he did than if he had scored 15 goals. Yeah, it was more something that can give you like even more hope for for his future NHL career. He's such a smart player. Um, and like everyone has talked all the time about how short he is and how his physique will not be enough for the NHL possibly and he's, how he's only a one-trick pony and he's only a goal scorer. If there is anything we've uh, like learned from this season, both by what David St. Louis has written and from watching him now in both Wisconsin and in the World Juniors, is that he is a versatile play playmaker. He is a guy that, I mean, obviously you don't want to have him on your bottom line because that would be just wasting his talents, but but he's an NHL caliber prospect in many regards, not just as a goal scorer. But I can just like, I mean, can you imagine seeing him next to a Nick Suzuki or a Jesperi Kotkaniemi in a couple of years? It will just be, yeah, it will just be great fun to to uh, for for all of us Canadians fans because like, I I I love the Caulfield pick when it happened. I remember I was in Rome and I had my Rangers fan uh, of a friend next to me and he was saying like, I hope that Caulfield doesn't slip to 15 and I was saying the opposite and like here we are now a year and a half later and I'm even more secure that, you know, the Canadians really had a steal at 15 and I'm looking forward to seeing his future trajectory. And if we put stock into different people, we need to put stock into David Saint-Louis. His, his article, obviously, about how, how Caulfield has changed his game and what he's going through at Wisconsin, fantastic. But the way David speak about the interview that, that Marc Dumont, our former boss, uh, did with, with uh, Cole Caulfield in order uh, just before the World Championships, I think. Uh, and, and he come out, I remember David came into the Slack chat that we have and he was like, Seriously, this guy's hockey IQ. No player speaks hockey like this. This is no. for the nerds. And and if, if if David is that excited about someone something and and especially a kid uh, of, like Cole Caulfield, I'm getting excited no matter what I see on on the ice it, or, or what I think I see on the ice. For me, I put so much trust in 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 David in in those situations. So so I'm clearly comfortable with with what I've seen. I like the fact again, as he did, as Mishak did, uh, Cole Caulfield sacrificed his own role or his own play in order to strengthen the team, and that's what we need. And, and you know, Montreal might not have the top end talent in this year's NHL, but there is no deeper team, I think, in 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 on the forward lines. There are some deep forward lines for Montreal, and if you can have, as you mentioned, like Cole Caulfield coming in on the third line with Jesper Kotkaniemi, then you're going to have all sorts of fun. Yeah, and the, the thing is that with, with, with Caulfield reminds me of, of Nick Suzuki on the wing. That, that's really what he reminds me of uh, in terms of his smarts, his offensive upside, but also the, the way he can play. And, and it's it just, you know, Nick Suzuki was a 13th overall pick too. He dropped in the draft. He wasn't a high draft pick. Uh, I'm sure some teams would rather have him right now than, than whoever they picked ahead of him. I, I think Vegas would rather have a Suzuki than Cody Glass. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. 
And the funny thing is, I think a lot of Canadians fans would have rather Cody Glass signed a trade than Nick Suzuki. Definitely. Looking at, we're talking, we're starting to talk about how the Canadians can form up, and and uh, the first couple of days of, of training camp has been exciting for for a few different reasons. And congrats, Jared, a question on the press conference. Yeah, that, that was a long time coming. Uh, I stand on the shoulders of uh, everybody else at Eyes on the Prize uh, for that one. But yeah, it's it, it's fun. It, it's fun to be able to. Uh, to, to be involved in that way, absolutely. And looking at the, the lines, first and foremost, there there are some birthdays we need to mention today. Is it both Kulak and Romanov, or is it just Romanov, or, or is it someone else I'm missing as well? I know it's Romanov, that's why I know, right? No, Kulak's um, birthday is today. It's the 6th of January. Yeah, I, I think Kulak is today. And mm. Romanov is 9th, isn't the it? The 6th. Yeah, it's the 6th as well. 6th so as they well, are both. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And Guli is the 18th. Mm. So maybe he'll be in Montreal by the time his birthday comes also. And they call us hockey nerds. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, there, I, I'm, I'm a keyboard nerd. <laughs> there, um, There's a lot to talk about. Uh, most impressive maybe, as we mentioned just before starting the podcast, is that all of us that likes to think and tinker a little bit with the lineup and everything seems to have the same lineup as Claude Julien. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of funny because there, there's so many times when you, I mean, you can adjust certain things. Like I, I had Lekin in ahead of Armia uh, on, on the line of Kotkaniemi and, and Toffoli, but I mean, it really does make a difference. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's uh, six of one, half dozen of another, you know, glass half full, half empty. You know, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's it's amazing how the Canadians uh, have what looks like such a balanced lineup. And, you know, we, we talked about this in the playoffs, that their lineup was balanced. But now it's like, it's really balanced now. You know, a third pairing of Kulak and Romanov like, uh, compared to Willette and Mete. Like, nothing to take away from Willette and Mete. But, I mean, man, like, it's... it's I, I feel like everyone knows that this Canadians team is better than it has been. Everybody. Mark Bergevin knows, Claude Julien knows, Kerry Price knows, Shea Weber knows. You, you watch like the the first couple of days of press conferences, and everyone is just like, "Yeah, you know, we're good." You know, at, at first everyone's like, every every year when Mark Bergevin starts the season, he's like, "Yeah, I hope to make the playoffs. See what happens." But now it's like, "No, we're making the playoffs. Then we'll see what happens." Right? Like yeah. it, it's it, it's the same message, but it's like it, it's just more confident up and down the lineup. Yeah, and that's of course that's spreading it throughout the lineup as well. I mean, that is why guys like Michael Froelich and and Corey Perry have signed for minimum wage because obviously they didn't even they mention could... them. Either. What? Crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but it's just because like they feel the vibe coming out of Montreal right now, and I'm betting that because we've seen a lot of articles from from you know rivals and and you know rivaling Canadian cities and everything that where they want to kind of downplay the Canadians because they don't have that you know star power that you know an Elias Pettersson or a Johnny Gaudreau or a, a, an Austin Matthews is uh but you know as you say the balance balance of the lineup and just going out there and just driving for 60 minutes a game with four lines and three strong defensive groups i mean it will be hard to stop the canadians this season if they can play the same kind of style of game that they played for the last couple of years especially in the third period you know they, they yeah. they're gonna crush it in the third period if they don't do it before but but when and, and at home when you have the last line change it's going to be up and down the lineup, you're gonna tinker with it. You're gonna like, Claude Julian must be sitting there like he's holding a straight flush at the poker table in Vegas. In a way, it's it's gonna be amazing to see. And uh, no, I'm not hyping the team at all. But but yeah, 
<laughs> it's, but there, yeah, there's hard. reason. There's reason behind the hype for once. Yeah, I mean, you roll four lines. You're gonna save yeah. people uh, during the game. You're gonna save people for that 56 game short game, short season that is gonna impact players differently. They're gonna be they're gonna be home and away stands that are gonna be three games in four days. You need rested players. Yeah, and, and I, I think, and every, I think we shouldn't yeah. be looking forward. We shouldn't be worried about someone sitting for a game because everyone is going to need rest every here and there. Exactly. And I just think that it's great that you don't have to rely on one or two lines for your entire season because like if we compare to, you know, the the rivals in the west, well everyone is in the west, but Toronto Maple Leafs for example. I mean, it's really it really comes down to like three or four guys and if they don't perform, if they have a bad uh, stretch of games or if they are even injured, like it's kind of difficult to uh, just get the production out of the rest of the guys. Uh, but with the Canadians, it's just like, well, next man up kind of mentality this season. And, you know, just managing <laughs> managing to have such a deep lineup under the cap in a season where the cap uh, floor didn't, uh, well, the cap ceiling didn't go up. It's just incredible work by Mark Birchman. I mean, if we, if we hate on him when he does bad things, we have to really, you know... Um, Really raise his, uh, you know, status uh, once and for all for what he's done this off season. I think we haven't hated on him for quite some time. No, no, exactly, exactly. But I mean, it's just no, it's just uh, impressive work. Yeah, you know, it, we we we're, we're in the business of hyping up, not not because we we necessarily want the Canadians to do well, or we just see the the positives of this. But yeah, like, like you guys mentioned, this isn't the year. That you have to stretch like Nadia Comaneci and able to to get to uh, a playoff picture, right? Like this, I think that there's more pointing towards the playoffs than not pointing towards the playoffs for the Canadians this year. And, and yes, a lot of things can happen and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's for me, this is a playoff team. And also with the with the addition of Jake Allen, it, it's it's fifteen million dollars in in goalkeepers, but it's probably the best goal keeping tandem in in NHL. Yeah, I would I would say that at least in the in the North Division. Yeah, you know, I, I think Holtby Demko is interesting. Uh so same thing with with Markstrom Riddick in, in Calgary. Uh you know, Toronto finally has a couple of capable backups. Uh, yeah. That depends yeah. how you feel. I mean, I I wouldn't put them on on the level of the other, but I think they're you know, it's not Mike Smith and Koskinen. No, right. like, I mean, if you compare it to the worst, of course, it's going to be better. Yeah. But I would rather take I mean, Jake Allen than Riddick or Braden Holtby at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, th- those, those, they're close. But I, I think that, yeah, I mean, Montreal is, is, is pretty, is ahead in the division. Um, but the other teams have good, ba- you know, that's the way things are going now. You know, tandem goaltenders is a thing, especially this year. Right? Like, look, look, at, uh, look at Washington, right? They, they, they brought in Lundquist, obviously. He's not able to play, so what do you do? They get, go and get Craig Anderson, and and they all already have uh, Vitek Vanacek as well in, in their system, who is you know might might be the backup to start the season as well. So you know every team is doing this, every team, and and the teams that are successful have that that tandem in place, or at least have somebody that you can rely on uh, behind your starter. You know, uh, it, it you know Montreal has gone the route of of playing Carey Price as much as possible and hope that it works. And I think that now part of the the optimism is not only Allen himself, but the team around Allen, right? Like, like th- this team doesn't need Carey Price to be Carey Price in order to win. They just need to be, you know, 
good. <laughs> I mean, if he's great, then then you've obviously even better, right? But the the expectation on price, the, the weight on price, is not like it was in previous years either. No, it's definitely not, and I think that it it's strengthened. And you see this actually in SHL quite a lot as well. More and more teams going to one A one B kind of of setup. Um, it hasn't really gone through everywhere yet, but but it's starting. Um, Faristad, uh, I think Freland as well, Lulio, uh, Lulio as well. Uh, often with a young guy as well to 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 let him play as much as possible. But but really, they are looking. These three teams are also looking deep into the playoffs. You can't have a uh, first and foremost. You can't have a player that a goalkeeper that is tired in the playoffs. Second, you, if something happens in the playoffs, and this happened two years ago for Fronda, the goalkeeper got injured, but they have a one B that gets straight out in there and actually steals the series for them, or steals, make sure they win the series because they was four one or four two. But but they they won the final on that because they had a good backup and, and you're gonna need that. And I think that is really, really what what sets a little bit more of a calm in regards to the as you say, team around Kerry Price, but but for the whole team, for the whole community and, and fan, including fans and media. Everyone is a little bit more relaxed this year. Yeah, and I think it's helped out a lot. I mean, we're talking about the goalies here, but the Canadians have kind of, I mean, they have uh, loaded up on every, now with the signings of Frolik and, and Perry, you can really say that, well, there are like eight or nine qualified defensemen who can go in and play any given night, uh, which basically means less pressure on the older guys, right? So Weber and Petrie doesn't, don't have to go out and play for 25 minutes per night, which is great because if they can be more well-rested, that's great. They can follow through. I mean, they like we, we've seen Weber's injury, injury problems in the past. It's just great if he doesn't have to go out and play almost <laughs> half of the minutes per game. Uh, and the same for the forwards i mean if, if you have more qualified uh forwards and experience on your taxi squad uh forward wise as well it just puts less pressure on every single guy so yeah it's just yeah the canadians may have a little <laughs> a little bit of excess on every position at this point having six goalies and and you know a lot of defensemen a lot of forwards but better to have it than not to have it when you come into the season and all the injuries start to pile up yeah, and that's where that's where Frolik and Perry come in, right? Like, everyone like as soon as Corey Perry signed, people were like, oh, get rid of Paul Byron. We don't need him anymore. But if Corey Perry plays fifty six games, that's a failure, in yep. my mind. You know, he's not there to play fifty six games, and and that's not taking anything away from Corey Perry. It's not taking anything away from any of the guys. It's that Corey Perry will be best if he plays like twenty five games and then is a hundred percent in the playoffs. Right, like, like Mark Bergevin even said it in his, his season opening press conference. There are guys that get you in and guys that get you through. Perry's the guy that gets you through. You don't need him for the fifty-six game regular season. You need him for the playoffs. And I think that that's the mindset that's going to be going on with the Canadians. And I'm sure that you're going to have a rotation. And a rotation doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're going to sit out. And even guy, even young guys are going to have that, right? Like, that, you know. Romanov hasn't played a, a full season with you know 15, 18 minute games in, in, in a few years, right? Like, and, and that's not taking anything away from him. I'm not saying he's physically he's physically not ready for it. I'm just saying you have the opportunity to rotate guys in and out. You're going to do it, and, and you know even guys like like Gallagher, Gallagher has played a hurt a lot, right? Like if you can tell him, listen, you know take take a take a day off. And I'm sure Gallagher is going to hate that. 
but it, it gives you more leeway, right? You know, if you, it, 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 it hits differently, right? When you tell Carey Price to sit out because Keith Kincaid is going to start, and if you tell Brendan Gallagher to sit out because, you know, Charles Houdon is going to get in the lineup or Alex Belzil is going to get into the lineup, it hits differently than when you're like, you're going to sit out, we're going to put in Corey Perry. Or we're going to, you're going to sit out, we're going to put in Jake Allen. And, and it just hits differently. And, and these guys know that, right? Yeah, they, they certainly do. It's uh, it's uh, clear from, from everyone's point of view. And also what I just thought about is that when you have a nagging injury, you can sit out so you don't aggravate it. You, you, you can sit out in order to let that heal because you got such a good player coming in instead. And and it's, as you say, it's not going to hurt that much. It's not going to uh, hurt on, on a psychological level. But it also helps you keep that freshness in the squad. And I think that's going to be super important, especially with, with two, three games in short space of time and traveling across Canada as well. Uh, we're not going to dive too deep into the lineup because we got an exciting project that is being launched tomorrow. Um, and we're going to preview all the other teams in the North Division. We're not going to go with that, whatever the sponsorship deal they have. But the North Division or the Canada Division, I'm not sure what we're calling it all through the, the series. But uh, we're going to preview all of the teams in the North Division. Fin- finally, finishing off, obviously, with the Montreal Canadiens when we have seen more of the training camp and everything. But we got some exciting guests coming in to, to help us do that. We got uh, different ones of us are involved in different episodes. So you're going to hear more uh, more from Anton, more from, from Jared, and more from me, but maybe in singular fashion. Uh, we thank you guys for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this series. We hope you enjoy the World Junior Championships. And I know all of us is looking forward to the season. Follow Habs and Minded on Twitter. It's Eyes on the Prize Radio. Uh, follow Eyes on the Prize, obviously. Reach out to us. We'll listen. We crave ideas. Where If you have any specific questions you want us to answer, shoot them to us in DMs, shoot them in comments, shoot them in, in over Twitter on so everyone can see them if they want to. Uh, thank you guys for, for, for joining me today. Jared Book, follow him on Twitter. Anton doesn't do Twitter, but, but you know, listen to what he says because he's a smart kid. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.